Your voice. Your city. Your issues. Your evenings on 702. Let's walk the talk with Aubrey Masango. Lebo Lyon, award-winning entrepreneur, business influencer, and author. She's here with me in studio. Lebo, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate your time. I know that we were supposed to have conversations at other times. You've been gracious enough to wait. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming to the studio. Thank you for having me here, Aubrey. I'm actually very excited. Yeah. And for 9 p.m. on a Friday night, the you know. energy in here <laughs> is magnetic. I'm uh, loving it. You. So I can't wait to have this conversation thank with you. Thank so you so much. We, 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 try, we try to keep things authentic. We try to keep things edgy. Yes. We try to keep things relevant. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, if conversation was a meal, mm. edginess, authenticity, and... And just looking for relevance mm-hmm. all the time would be the main course of any conversation. I, I like that. I, I really do. And I've seen that you try to do the same thing mm-hmm. on your podcast. Yes. I, is that something that's deliberate? So I don't actually try to do it. Yeah. I just am being myself. That's right. And it happens to be very disruptive for a lot of people. You know, we live on a continent where women are not necessarily position to be the kinds of people who are outspoken, you know, who have opinions about everything and yeah, who want pa, to change. Pa. Well, pa, pa. Yeah. You know, I'm not a thought leader. Yeah, pa, pa. <laughs> I'm not sharing gems. I'm talking too much. So what I'm doing with my existence and in pursuing my passion and communicating with people and having a podcast and all these other platforms is just to show people that, you know, all of us have a right to have a say. And it's important to have an informed opinion in what you do. But speak, right? Conversation is important. It moves the needle. It helps people think differently. And I think that's how we paint a different world and change the world. So I speak my mind. I have the privilege of having the kind of background that I did growing up when my parents taught us to speak our minds. So I want to show other women out there that, you know what, if you have something to say, say it. If you want to be out there and you want to own a stage, own a room, do it. Why not? I think what you've just said now is should be said, I suppose, much louder. Mm-hmm. The idea that we are socialized, particularly women in this country, yes, are socialized to shut up. Yes. Yeah. And if you have a an opinion, worse still, if your opinion is is informed, mm-hmm. but also disruptive of the of that current moment's grain of thought, then you get labels such as wapapa. Yes. I'm interested to go back to your formative years. You speak about how your family uh, and as children, you were, you were encouraged to speak your mind. Yes. Go back to those times. Uh, under, under which circumstances did you feel that encouragement? Uh, and under which circumstances would it have been the case that you would have been told, shut up, mm-hmm. but because of that upbringing, you didn't shut up? You know, that's a, that's a loaded journey that you want me to take yeah. you on, you know, because it's so nuanced. And as a marketer, I always say to people, we have a single story of what it is to be a black person in South Africa. Yeah. And a lot of us are not open to the idea that there are so many stories of blackness in the black community that exist in this yeah. country. Yeah. And if we were open to exploring that... 
we would have more compassion for one another and we'd be able to work with each other in a better way because we'd understand that we are different even though we are black but we're also the same because of the fact that we live in this country and we've experienced what we've experienced. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I'm 33 years old and I have to contextualize it with my age so people All understand. Well. I'm 33. <laughs> I, basically, right? <laughs> but I had the, the privilege of Growing up in the suburbs, you know, I had parents who worked very hard. My dad was an entrepreneur at the time. So I got to go to private schools from grade north. And as I grew older and I started working, I realized that people didn't know that black people live like that, you know. So I would find that when I'm in rooms, people don't get me. It's like, what are you? Are you white? Are you black? What? What are you? Why are you like this? You know, there's such a small group of us apparently who are like this. Because you didn't fall within a particular... Um, a particular typecast and, and yeah, stereotype of blackness, yeah, sure. and it wasn't just from black people, white yeah. people too. Yeah. You know, because they don't know that black people like gotcha. this exist. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, so I think my parents could see that life was going to be tough for us because we're not going to be accepted in many spaces in this country because of the way it is. And so my dad said, if you want to survive in this country, if you want to survive in the world, being the way that you are, you're going to have to learn how to speak. You're going to have to learn to say what you want. You're going to have to learn how to have the confidence to do it. So even though I was a very, very shy child, what my dad would do is at dinner, he would force us to speak about our day. He would force us to read the newspaper and then talk about what we think, even if we don't understand what it is. I mean, I wrote, I read, I write what I like when I was like 10 years old. And I didn't know what the hell I was seriously. I didn't even know what the hell I was reading at the time. That's compulsory reading. It's compulsory reading. That should be compulsory compulsory reading reading for every South African black or white, in my opinion. Yeah. All of these books from Long Walk to Freedom. I've read so many. Franz Fanon, I read it all. I didn't didn't even understand when I was a kid. But obviously as an adult now, I understand what I read. Richard of the Earth. Sorry? The Richard of the Earth. Yes, the Richard of the Earth, Franz Fanon. So I think that encouraged me to learn how to think, how to dissect my thoughts and to communicate them in a way that is... Not palatable, but in a way that is constructive and valuable to adding something to the environment that I'm in, right? Because I think a lot of us speak just to speak. And we have to understand that the power of the tongue is something that's very profound. You should be speaking to change something, to add value, to do something meaningful. I really believe that. I can't sit with people and just talk about things. It really frustrates me. I'm not that kind of person. I'm very bad in in social settings where people are drinking and just doing I can't do that you know even my small talk is something I consider because I feel like conversations are very meaningful interactions that you have with people and they can change your life they can change your mood they can change your perspective it's so important that what you feed your brain and what you say coincide with the person you want to be in the life and the world that you want to see many years ago I wrote an article I was was writing for a publication that was still very new then mm-hmm. is now grown and it's a big, big beer moth. It's now called the Daily Maverick. <laughs> but, but but at the time it was a tiny little publication. Um, and I and I wrote a, oh, I can't remember the title, but it's very akin to what you've just been speaking to now about we as black people recognizing the beauty of the variation, the various, the various ways of being black. Yes. And it was during a time where there were, there was an emergence of a very powerful group of people that considered themselves the black police. Mm-hmm. The blacker than thou. Mm-hmm. 
the ones that want to uh, to dictate to every black person as to this is how to be black. Mm-hmm. You should not be able to swim, you see, because you're black. Yes. Oh, the swimming one is a big one. It's a or, big one. Or, 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 or you, you, you should not be... Uh, you should not be in a situation where you enjoy to uh, eat food for the for the sheer purpose of enjoying flavors, not because you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 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 so I get what you mean. I, I yes. hear what you mean. Yes. The article that I, I'd written was entitled "The Incredible Blackness of Being." That was the title. I must find it. Because many of the themes that you've just touched on were in that, in that, in that document. I want to talk about your experience of being black because I think that that theme of your blackness yes. and the way that you've experienced being black mm-hmm. is a conversation that must be had yes. in South Africa and the rest of Africa. Mm-hmm. Because we sometimes want to give the impression that we are this monolithical thing exactly. when we are different. Mm-hmm. Even in our indigenous ethnic groups, we are very different as black as we are. Absolutely. We have different customs, we have different worldviews, we have different approaches to the very idea of Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm interested in hearing that story and how it shapes Lebo Lion yes. to become who you become and the content that you have in your podcasts, mm-hmm. the, the story about entrepreneurship that you are telling and how you are inspiring and indeed even motivating certain people. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> the motivation word. Uh, the we'll, M word. We'll get, we'll, the M word. We'll get into the M word soon. But you know, and this is so complex. I mean, I could tell a two-hour story about this. But basically, one of the reasons why I'm the voice of marketing is because growing up, we never used to get time to like just relax. Okay, my dad would say, either you're reading or you're going to come work. So you'd either go work at like one of the somethings that he I now was doing. Get that. Yeah. I now, now I get what your dad is saying. Yes. When I was younger, I probably would have fought him tooth and nail. But yes. I now get it. I yes. get there's no time to relax here, yes. guys. We've got to be on top but, of the game. But yeah? kids, kids must work in sure. the sense that you must give them opportunities to learn. Yes. And they need to learn from their parents because your parents are probably the only people in the world who will guide you and teach you in a kind and compassionate way, right? They want you to win. They're the only people in the world who want you to win more than anything. So they're going to teach you the secrets of the trade. And it's important for your kids to work in your businesses if you have them. So we'd go work in the businesses or read. And my dad would say, just choose where you want to be and decide. See what you can do. And I'd always find myself in the position where I want to sell to people, where I want to improve what we're selling, you know. And I later realized that, oh, that's marketing, right? And in being this girl who says, okay, now I want to be in the marketing industry. I want to take up space in this marketing industry. What do I stand for? And I realized that one of the things that I stand for is people and understanding people. I don't believe that you can be a good marketer if you don't understand people. And and I don't believe you can be a good marketer if you judge people. Because we sell to people. We create things for people. So our job is to understand, observe, and then, you know, honor the demand that the market has. And in understanding people, I would even do surveys where I'd ask other marketers and say, 
why do you guys believe that we can't have delivery services in the township? Why is it only in the suburbs, you know? And marketers would come back to me and say things like, because only rich people live in the suburbs and poor people live in the township, they can't afford uh, food delivery services. You know, wild statements. To me, that makes no sense. Where right. is the where is this, the research backing this assumption? Yeah. You know, so I used to interrogate this and I'd say to myself, in South Africa, we've got this amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem. We've got people who are creative. They invent things. They, they just, it's amazing. But then we also have a very narrow mindset mm. where we don't actually value all people as customers. So we've, we've, we've narrowed down the market. We've made the market smaller than it is. You know, the one rand in Soweto is still as important as the one rand in Santon. In fact, your shops like your pick and pays and your checkers, they make the most money in the township, not here in the suburbs. So that has to tell you something about the rand and the racial groups and everything around that. So I feel like we need to start understanding as marketers and as business people how much bigger the South African market is when we don't judge each other and then Instead, we try to learn and understand one another. And I think coming from the background that I have and the context of South Africa helped me understand that we don't see the world the same way and I need to have compassion and start to understand people for who they are. And when you look at companies like Amazon, for example, they have a competitive edge because now they are narrowing down their offering to the individual. They're no longer saying there's, there's this huge target market and we're going to create a, a, an offering for a target market. They're yeah. saying there's an individual. We're going to create an experience and a product for them. So, Which is a big shift, which in, is a big shift. In, 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 in marketing thinking. Yes. That... I mean, I mean, I remember the, the, some years ago there was a big conversation about going for the pink dollar. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember that whole conversation about yes. going for the pink dollar, and 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 then there there was this uh, uh, paradigm shift that was about uh, moving away from trying to sell to to demographics, yes. but rather to an individual. Yes. Um, psychographics. And, is that what it's called? Yes, it's, it's called and, psychographics. And for, and, for, and for me. That was a major shift in mm-hmm. marketing thinking yes. because people were no longer starting to think in terms of groups, but yes. in terms of individuality and individualism. Mm-hmm. But and that, go, that's important, right? Go, 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 but don't, I, want, I don't want you to run away from your blackness. No, no, no I'm, not, I'm not running yeah? away from the blackness okay. thing. What I'm saying is whether it's blackness or whiteness yeah. or anything else, yeah. the idea that a person is only defined by their race is a really bad decision, business decision mm-hmm, to make. Mm-hmm. It's a really bad marketing decision to make. And I'm using my experiences and my knowledge of the world to inform how I create strategies for my clients and other businesses because I understand the value of understanding individuals versus just grouping them in something that doesn't even truly define them and honor their stories and honor the impact that they have in their societies. Remember, social media has created this this ecosystem now where people are highly informed, whether they're informed with the right thing or the wrong thing, they're still informed. They have information coming at them sure. every single day. Yeah. And that's making them more picky customers, not necessarily very discerning, but very picky. So as a business person, how do you get to the person you're trying to sell to? How do you cut through the noise? You can't cut through the noise if you're giving them a message that's for a group because they're not going to fully relate and resonate with that message. So you have to find a way to communicate to the individual and I think a lot of us in this country as business people and marketers, we're missing that. And in my content and the things I do, I'm trying to say to people, we need to start to understand 
individuals. We have to start to understand uh, that business is about observation and not judgment. You know, it's about serving and not bullying or just dominating something to, just because you can. Because those kinds of uh, business people and th- that kind of thinking is slowly going to become outdated. It doesn't work. So I have conversations of an entrepreneurial nature every Tuesday. Okay. And hope you'll join us one of those days. I would love to join yeah. you. So, so one of my one of my guests said something very profound, and I and I'm still sort of digesting it, but I think it's really very much in line with what you're saying. He said that we as entrepreneurs, as business people, will develop a product or let's say a drill, mm-hmm. a drill bit, for example. And we'll go to the market to tell the market about how strong the drill bit is. Mm-hmm. The beautiful alloys that have made this drill bit and how this drill bit is able to fit into so many drills yes. and so forth. That's not what the market wants to hear. Not at all. They want to hear about, can this thing give me the hole that I need? Features tell benefits sell. Right. So that's, so, 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 so that's what I'm hearing you say to yes. me, that the, the message of the entrepreneur needs to be customer-centric rather than yes. entrepreneur-centric. Yes. Which is the big mistake that most of us means. That, that and the fact that we... We are not taking our environment into consideration when we're creating our businesses and our products. So we are looking at the states and saying, because they do this, we can too. But mm-hmm. it's like, no. Do you understand the diversity? In As, the a As a states, right? They do amazing things in the states, but it works for them. You know, the fact that if you have to use American marketing statistics for the black community here, you'd be using what they use for Hispanics. And they don't even have a black culture. It's Hispanic. You know, so it's very interesting that we're not really investing, enough of us aren't really investing in understanding African people. The whole rainbow nation, whatever that may be, we need to start understanding it, investing in it, and creating businesses and ecosystems that fit this environment and not some imagined environment of business and marketing that we've been working in so far. So I believe that any business, whether it's successful now or not, could optimize, could do much better if they had a better understanding of the African person. So, so, so it really brings me back to, I'm fascinated by the black conversation in South Africa. I'll tell, yes. I'll tell you why. Yeah. And I know I irritate a lot of people who would like for me to move on orbs, you know, please, man, educate the people, Aubrey, you know. You're always, wanting to, you're always wanting to talk about race Hey, Orbs oh, let, let's, let's go there for, for a second okay. I, And I'll tell you why okay. I'll tell you why I'm fascinated by it Because it is such a It's gold, man Everybody wants to defend the black people hey? mm-hmm. Everybody wants to, to, to help the black people yes. Everybody wants to speak from a black perspective Everybody yeah. is so black these days Even mm-hmm. white people are black these days yeah. Everybody black. And, and, and it says to me that this thing called blackness has gone through an evolutionary process. Yes. From at one point being the nothing of the world to being the most coveted thing in the world. Is it? Yo, well, well, let me, listen to my story. To the point where the, 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 the black music space in the United States 
has got white kids wanting to be enners. Mm-hmm. Right? Every, everybody wants to be part of this thing called blackness. Mm-hmm. Black lives matter. Blackness, blackness, blackness is, is the word of the day. And I suppose I'm interested in how blackness has evolved to become so attractive. Mm. And I'm interested to hear that from a marketer's point of view. Sure. How blackness has become this, this most coveted commodity that most people want to be associated with in many ways. I see the most prestigious bank card to have these days is a black one. It's not a gold one. Yes. The, 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 the most, the most, uh, all sorts of products want to be black. Uh, that minimalism that comes with having a, uh, everything is, talk to me about that. That's why I kept saying, let's go back to that. Go because to I, I, I think, I, I think that your experience in marketing and being able to sell and, 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 and convey a particular message that is sometimes subliminal for somebody to buy a product would have gone to that space to think about it a little deeper than most of us. Go take me there. Okay. You've asked me many questions because sure. I, I will listen to something and dissect it into many little things. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. right now I'm, my mind is going crazy, but right. I will try to break it down into small bits. Right. So is blackness the most coveted culture? Yes, absolutely right now. You see it in rap culture. You see it in the, the TV shows, the whatever we read. Everything seems like it's black culture. And when we say black culture, I think predominantly people think hip hop or here we're thinking um, piano okay. vibes, whatever it may be. Yep. But it's just that pop culture looks like blackness yep. in some way, shape or form. And my theory with this is that attention goes where money flows. So anybody who wants to make money and plug themselves into the culture will assimilate with whatever the culture may be at that particular point in time. It doesn't mean they love the people in the culture. It doesn't mean they want to be that. It means that they know how to position position themselves to get access to the opportunities that exist within that culture. Right. So I always say to people, marketers are the curators, creators, and custodians of culture, right? Any brand, that any product that becomes a brand historically had to break into a culture or create one, right? And that's the key. That's what most people are buying. That's what most corporates are buying. They're trying to s- slot themselves into the culture because once you're within the culture, you, you've got it. You've got the people. You are the Colgate. You know, you are the sunlight what else is you're the coca-cola you know people don't name the other yeah they don't name the other other products they just say coca-cola for every single cold drink because they've become the culture so attention goes where money flows and that's why people go there but But, but my question is why black why black because and i don't think i'm qualified to answer this question in the depth that it requires but i think with the way the world has been moving and we're seeing changes in leadership for example where you're seeing more black people take up really significant roles like obama being the president of america etc you are seeing that black people are getting a 
a bigger stage or more of a stage to voice their opinions, to share their experiences and their talents and their work. So, 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 so my, my question is, is less about black people mm-hmm. than it is about... Black culture. Blackness. Black culture. So, so what am I saying? I want to say it mm-hmm. as it comes to me. Yes. But it appears to me that the prevailing understanding is that black means authentic. It means rugged. It means in the hood where you can survive, where you can make do with as little as possible. It means all of those kinds of things and it still means relevant and and hip and happening. And I don't know whether that's black people mm-hmm. as what it is what is supposed to what blackness is supposed to mean from a commercial point of view exactly and let me let me let, and i know and i know i'm i'm being long-winded here but i am fascinated by your experience mm-hmm. of blackness in south africa and how you have been forced to think and articulate that in your daily lives, just your just your daily life experience, but how it has been brought to bear on your professional life, mm-hmm. uh, which is kudos to your dad because I, I I really think that he pushed that very hard. Yes, but I, I I'm not talking so much about black people. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about this manufactured or not yeah. idea of blackness. Yes, and I'm also not talking about black people. Right, right. I'm talking about the symbol of them. And whatever real estate blackness has created, which is why I'm saying attention goes where money flows. Right. Whatever this blackness thing is, there's money flowing to it. So there's attention going to it. And people want to assimilate to it in whatever way, shape or form that they can. And that's why I was also saying just because people are assimilating to blackness or wanting to be part of it, it doesn't mean that they love black people. You know, because it's and, not, and, and, it's and not it, does, a black it doesn't mean thing. it doesn't mean as well that it is a black culture thing. Exactly. Because for me, many, 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 many times, what is considered to be black is very strange to me. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So. But then again, I, I can't, I can't argue that I'm the epitome of blackness. Exactly. But right? what is the epitome of blackness? Okay. And that's why psychographics are so important. Because if we have to ask every single black person what blackness is, they're going to have a different interpretation of what it is. And so, if you want to create marketing... Safari! Exactly. Safari! It could be that. And for some people, it might be something completely different. And that's okay. I'm a peer. (laughs) Exactly. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm I'm not being facetious. You're not being facetious. You're actually right. That is one stereotype of blackness. And stereotypes exist because those kinds of people really do exist. But it's not... It's not for the entire group. It's just for a small group of the entire group. It's a small part of the entire group. Is commerce culturally appropriating this idea of blackness? And is is that fair and good? I don't know if we can talk about fairness and capitalism in the same sentence, you know. And I do think that commercial or corporates or businesses, the entire system wants to be part of anything that seems to make money and work where there's attention and money flowing, right? So if blackness, whatever that is, is cool right now, they're going to 
go hard on that and create products and everything based on that. And when that changes, they're going to go and do something else. We see it historically. That's just how culture works. Culture is not static. It moves with people. It moves with time, right? So I think we're even going to see a, a movement from the Gen Z's where they try to own blackness and make it a black thing and then define it for us. Because I don't think we've done that as Gen Z's and, and millennials. I don't think we've done that. So I think they're going to try to own it because they want to see the world changing. They want to see representation in a way that's meaningful and not just done to make money, you know. And this is a conversation that we were having. I think we have it a lot as marketers in South Africa with those TV adverts where they're always showing the happy mama yeah, and she's singing, singing and dancing. Why are we always singing and Jumping dancing and when down, we're selling yeah. things to black people, right? Yeah. And I swear to you, there's so much research in the South African marketing industry that says that that kind of content com- converts for black people. Really? That black people want to see that and that's what gets them to buy. I even did a keynote at Diageo once and I spoke about comedy and I was saying to them, why is it that alcohol brands tend to choose comedy when they're selling uh, a, a lower-end product, especially alcohol products, to black people, right? And they say because comedy sells. Black people like to laugh. If you give them something, a product like, let's say, a Savannah or whatever, and you make them laugh, they're going to buy. To me, that's an offensive stereotype because I don't think that's what blackness is. And I don't think that's even what the, you know, lower LSM culture is. But I have to stand back and not feel offended and look at it and say, are they telling that's, the truth that, or that's not? That, that's when you've you got know? to separate yourself. Myself from right, the actual okay, right, thing, right? right? Because the sales reports are there. <laughs> so clearly there's something there. But maybe... It could be more nuanced. Maybe if we had a different approach, we could see a 10x in those sales that we're not seeing now. And the problem is that when people think something is working, they don't consider that something else could work better. And so we maintain a culture that actually suppresses the identities of many people and customers. So, so how, how did you get into marketing? First, it was from working in my dad's businesses, you know, <laughs> just understanding. I, I, I love your dad. I, I, got, I, got, I want to meet your dad. I think your dad is, is, a, I, is a king, man. I come from an entrepreneurial family. Right. Everybody worked. The yeah. women worked, the men worked. We all worked because you had to have a purpose. That yeah. was the whole driving force. It wasn't about money. It was what about is, what, what, does that what mean? is your purpose? What, what, is, what does it mean? What does work mean? Work is spending your time on something that's going to add value to your life. That's what work is to me. So I was having a conversation. Because that's what I do. (laughs) Exactly. In a conversation with a religious guy. Okay. And he said to me, Aubrey, did, did you notice that work was created before the the fall in the Genesis story? Mm -hmm. He says to me, did you notice that work? was created before the fall. In other words, work was not a result of the fall. It was there before the fall. In other words, work was not punishment. Yes. It was a means by which we could self-actualize. Yes. From innocence to perfection, he said to me. Absolutely. He said, before we worked, we were innocent. We had to work to become perfect. Yes. He said to me that work is that which actualizes you. Mm-hmm. 
It is. So, so, so when you said we all had to work, I got the sense that you didn't mean to just pick up papers. Yes. And sit behind the till or even if that was your work, you meant something deeper. Yes. Go there. You know, my aunt, she's passed away now. But before she passed away, I think she owned about 15 BP garages. 15? 15. She became super wealthy. And before she started with the BP garages journey, she was a nurse at Baragwanath Hospital. All our so, moms were nurses she at went, Baragwanath Hospital. No, like the nurses, are, back in the day, the nurses at Baragwanath Hospital were... They were amazing oh, women. Like they we, were. We need to have that conversation. I'll come to your podcast. We need to talk about. <laughs> we need to talk about Baragwanath hospitals and how nursing in South Africa produced some of the most amazing, amazing people. Yeah, no, okay. it really yeah. did. Yeah. And as a child, because you know, in black families, you don't necessarily live with your parents when you're young. Sure. So I lived with her and her husband and my cousins in Soweto and Deep Kloof. and she would take us sometimes when we go to Baragwanath with her. And like I got to see Baragwana, I knew the hospital and I knew everybody there. And literally, I just, I've never, I can't remember a time in my life where I was never working or in a working environment, watching people do what they love. My aunt had so much pride in being a nurse. It wasn't a joke. She, she never slacked. It was a serious thing. And that's, I think, why I take life so seriously. Because I'm like, if you're doing something that you really love and that you're passionate about and you feel like it's moving the needle... You're not going to play with it. Why yeah. would you do that? You know, yeah. take it seriously because you understand its value and impact. So from a young age, I was taught that. And even now people say, oh, you're so serious. You can never have fun. I'm like, I do have fun. But what I do is fun for me. <laughs> you know, this work is fun for me. Every day I'm learning a different part of myself. Right. Every day I'm growing. So you're right. Work is the process of finding yourself and self-actualizing. And it's a continuous process. It's not a destination. You know, you work. Once you find fulfillment or whatever you need to find in that work, you do something else. And then you, you go on the journey and you do something else. You know, I believe in that. And, and, and work is not always the job, right? And work is not the job. Work is the experience. It's not the job. You could be doing anything. If you have the right mindset about why you are there, it will be, it will not be a job. It will be work. And work is a good thing. It's good to work. You know, it's good to work. I think a lot of people these days, might even feel things like depression or just a, lot of a sense of not knowing themselves and feeling lost because they don't have work to do. You know, they might be waking up to go to a job, but they're not working. And working is nice. It feels so good to say, what I'm eating comes from my hard work. You know, what, I've, oh, what I'm so living in comes that, from yeah. my hard yeah, work. You know, yeah. I always say to people, I love designer bags, but it comes from my hard work. So when I go to Louis Vuitton or wherever, I'm buying it with the money I worked hard for that I apportioned for this thing. It feels good to hold the bag. So it's, I think work, work makes you understand that life is not meant, the parties are not the enjoyment, right? They are the reward of working. The work is the thing that God gives you so you can want to wake up every single day. It's the thing that gets you out of bed. You know, I wake up at 5.30 without an alarm because I'm happy to go and work. So I think if more of us had a better perspective of what it is to work and we had environments that nurtured self-actualization because i think that's also a problem a lot of people don't come from environments that teach them that you need to self-actualize 
that that's the problem that's why people don't know how to define things like what is work for me what is my purpose they don't think it's necessary i don't even think some people even know that those things exist and that those are the nuances in being black and living in different communities in south africa that i think if marketers understood would be able to create better campaigns better adverts better products and you think there are white people who are black hmm? are they white people who are black <sighs> what is blackness no. I don't know, Ra- Rachel Dolazal. She says there are white people who are black. Yeah, I know. I've, you know, I've, I've heard that. <laughs> the, the, it those, those conversations. So tell me how, how you got into marketing. Marketing, yeah. So it was from, I, I really swayed off, but it was first from working in the businesses and just understanding what I'm good at every single time in the businesses. And then after university, I decided that I didn't want to work for anybody. So me and two other people decided to start a tech company. Out of the blue, we just decided that we want to start this tech company. The one guy I was working with already had tablets that he'd imported from China and he didn't know how to sell them. And I said, let's do it. I think I can sell them for you. Right. So they made me the CMO. <laughs> they did their own thing because they, they were both CAs. And we literally went on this process of building a brand for the tablets. And that's when I realized that actually I'm good at this thing. I'm 24 years old. I'm trying to sell tech to like the government and corporate and I'm a young black girl. I'm good at this because they're actually taking our emails. They're actually, you know, opening the door and we asked for a meeting and it wasn't easy to get that. It wasn't easy to take a tablet and transform it into something valuable. But what we did is, because I did my research, marketers must do their research. I realized that at the time, the government was rolling out paperless learning classrooms. And I said, the value of this tablet has to be education because that's actually what is that that's the demand in the market at the moment. The boys obviously said to me, no, that doesn't matter. We can just sell the tablet. They tried, but it didn't work. So they went with my route. So we created software, learning software for kids in the rural areas and townships. And then we approached different schools in the townships and rural areas to allow us to test our tablets and our software on their kids. And we got really great results from that. And I realized just in that process that, oh my goodness, as a young 24-year-old black girl, I was able to create a brand out of a tablet and give it some kind of identity that makes it commercially viable. Hmm? Did you sell a lot of them? We sold a few of them. Yeah. We sold a few of them. <laughs> I don't want to get into numbers. I just remember a time that a certain politician who's now a pr- premier of a certain province mm-hmm. who was really fixated on that idea. Yes. Um, really fixated. I remember actually interviewing him mm-hmm. and, and, and I could understand that he was passionately, yeah. uh, he had bought into the idea that we need to get tech into our rural and township schools yes. and we really, really need to um, to enhance the, the mind of the African y- child. Yeah. Yeah. But using, using 21st century technology. Yes. And, 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 and as much as I'm, I'm for that, I, I'm, I'm wondering how, how did it go? How, how well did that project? So, and, and I'm going to give myself props here. I think that I am a disruptive mind and I see things before the market sees them, right? So even when I proposed this to my business partners at the time, they, they are CAs. They didn't see it. They were just like, we need the numbers. We need the numbers, you know? And that's why they were willing to just sell a tablet that didn't have an identity or any value ready to add in the economy. And because we started getting money, because we were the, we were one of the only ones kind of revolutionizing how to sell tech at the time. Because what we had in the industry was a lot of 
Caucasian and Asian players who had a lot of money but didn't really know what the African continent needed. So they were selling a lot of hardware but not anything valuable with the hardware. And that's why we had a competitive advantage. And I think in our business, because we were so young as well, when they started seeing money coming in, they got excited. And they lost... The vision of mm. guys, we this money is nothing isn't now. That, Can we just hold on for another the, two, three isn't years? Isn't that how we just get <laughs> just get so sidetracked? Yes, man. And they are CAs. You know, they taught to be about the money. But I'm a market. I'm a taught to. I'm taught to be about the value. So I'm about what, how long can we keep doing this before we are fully, fully, fully about the numbers, you know? And so once they saw the numbers coming in, they went berserk and they started to change the business in a way that for me didn't make sense. Everybody got an X5. And And so we had to go our separate ways and it's so sad because a, a year later, the market literally needed exactly what we were offering. So if we were selling 100 units then, let's just say, we would have sold a million at a year later. Ali says, attention goes where money flows. I got that. Aubrey, it's amazing and something to be proud of for having such women doing great things around the world. Big up, says Ali. Oh, that's nice. Um, Graham Findlay says, blackness is AFF style, but in the black is bookkeeping with no red warnings. So you wish that all ignorant black people will get will get false pride of being, but they can not claim any bigger grant from government, says Ooh. Graham Findlay. And uh, Dos Santos says, Evening, Mr. Aubrey. Interesting topic with a knowledgeable, vibrant guest. guest. Plus, ask her for me. Um, in the welding business, uh, focusing on sliding gates, carports, and burglars, balustrades, etc. With so much competition, what advice can she give us to increase sales locally and maybe also abroad? Okay, you got to get into the to the welding business. Consultation. Yeah. That's what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very sneaky, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he wants to get into. He wants to what? Gain bigger market share in the. In the in the in the welding business, uh, sliding gates, carports, burglars, okay. uh, balustrades, and all of that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I don't know much about welding, right? But that doesn't matter. All I can say to anybody who's listening to this conversation now is, when I have consultations with my clients, and I've different kinds of clients. I've got executives. I've got people who own property companies. I've got people in construction. I mean, it's really vibrant and diverse. And the one thing that I see is people are overly attached to the way things used to be done, right? I don't know why they find so much safety in the way things used to be done because the past doesn't work in the present, right? right? And it definitely doesn't work in the future. So what I want to implore everyone who's listening to this conversation now to do is to start thinking about now, right? And to embrace the idea that in order for your business to grow, it has to take on a different identity to what it would have back in the day. And that means ingraining technology into your business. And this looks like something as basic as either social media, AI, whatever, but you should be using technology within your marketing strategy and your marketing systems in order to help your business grow. The powerful thing about social media that people don't understand, and I keep preaching this on my platforms, is that Social media is probably one of the most powerful 
tools of our time, marketing tools, communication tools, media tools, PR tools of our time. Because unlike traditional media, so your radio, your television, your newspapers, you can get insights about your content, about your products and services and your customers that are so detailed that you cannot find from any other kind of media advertising or traditional marketing. And that's important because we're getting into the era of psychographics, which is understanding your customers' individual needs. So you need those tools in order to build some kind of marketing strategy that's actually very successful. So I would say if you don't have an online presence, get one. It's got nothing to do with your industry. People are online. People do different things. You don't know who's there. So put your business out there because you're giving people or your business access to and exposure to a wide market. And your ideal stakeholder is there. They're there, they're watching, and they're looking for you. So if you're not there, where are you? I always say to people, if you're not online, you don't exist. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you think you've got great networks offline. At some point, it's going to change. And it's, the online space is going to weigh more heavily than the offline space. So you need an online presence, first of all. That's the first thing to do. Second of all, develop better relationships with your customers. If you think you've got a good one, have a great one. You know, and that comes in, for example, having surveys and asking them what they'd like done better, improving the experience when they come to your warehouse or whatever the case may be. Be people centric. Um, you need to make it personal because people have options, especially with the Internet. They can just Google and find your competitor. So be customer centric, have good relationships with your clients so they want to come back. And the third one is don't feel ashamed promoting your business. I find that a lot of business people think it's really cringe to go out there and sell and promote themselves, you know, and that's why they want to hire people like me to do it for them. But you still have to do it. It's your business. Don't feel ashamed doing that. It's a good thing to promote your business. You've worked hard on this thing. It has value to you. It is changing people's lives in some way, shape or form. So don't have an ego about it. Go out there and sell. Go out there and promote your business. Lebo, I've got four minutes to talk to you and I, and I want to make the most of it. Okay. We've talked shop. Tell me about Lebo. Why don't you want to tell me your full name? Because, you know, Lebo Lion is a brand that I've built. And in my journey doing everything that I do, I want to show people the power of building brands versus just creating products and services. Right? So you, 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 you're making a, a distinction Lebo between Lebo Lion, yes. the brand, yes. and Lebo, the person. Lebo, the person. The, Lebo does not exist on my ID. Okay, there is no label. <laughs> but Lebo Lion, the brand, exists everywhere. If you Google her, you will find many articles about her. And I'm using myself just as an example to show people that when you build a brand, there's so much that you can do with it. I've diversified my income streams just from building Lebo Lion. Right? I am not a product. I am a brand. I'm a person. Right? But in having this name and giving it commercial value, I'm able to sell so many things. I'm able to create different income streams for myself and build businesses that one day will outlive me with this brand name. So I believe that the world needs more people to build brands before they are obsessed with building and having products and services because anybody can have a product or service. But not anyone can just have the brand you've built. And that competitive edge, that uniqueness and that differentiation is what's going to set you apart in this noisy commercial world. That you, 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 under, you understand that that's like really revolutionary thinking. I know. I, I mean, that, that, that is really, really out there. Because I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people, including myself, who are confused. Who are you? Yes. I get who you are as a brand. Yes. Brand. But I don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. 
there's this beautiful black woman in front of me who speaks absolutely mesmerizing stuff. But I don't even really know who she is. I know that she's this brand, Label Lion. Yes. And you're saying to me, the other person is not important in this space. Yes. What is important is the brand. That is out there, bro. The girl who's on my ID, she's the CEO. Okay. <laughs> she's the CEO. Nobody has to know the CEO. <laughs> but we definitely have to know the brand. We need to know Nike. We don't have to know who the CEO of Nike is. Wow. So there's definitely somebody running this brand. Right. But the brand, the person who people will know is And your, your, your whole thing is that's not important. It's not important. The CEO just does the work. You know, the brand is for the people. The CEO is just... I've never heard this. I've I've got to tell you right now that I have never in my life heard this. And it makes very deep intuitive sense Mm -hmm. at a business level that... Don't worry about me. Yeah. Here's the brand. That's what you need to engage with. I mean, let me ask you this question. What does Lion symbolize to you? Power. Presence. Mm -hmm. Resilience, mm-hmm. luxury. I don't have to explain my brand to you. You know who I am. So, 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 where to for Lebo Lion? <laughs> where do we find Lebo Lion? How do we engage with Le- Lebo Lion um, as we close? You find me on all social media platforms, literally every single one. At Lebo Lion, like the animal, L-I-O-N underscore S-A. And you can also come to our masterclass that we're having. It's called the Everything is Marketing Masterclass, where we're, equ- where we're equipping entrepreneurs and marketers with the tools that they need to build successful brands and businesses. And that's happening on the 16th of March. The details are on my social media pages. Lebo Lion, it's been an absolute revelation talking to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've thoroughly been educated. And I hope that you'll agree to join us in some of our entrepreneurial conversations. I think there's a lot we can learn from you. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for having me, Aubrey. I had so much fun.